On this episode, I interviewed Dan Howells, who has most recently been with the Houston Astros and has previously worked in professional rugby. On this episode, we started off talking about kind of interpersonal and communication skills. So Dan's vast experience working in a high-performance setting, he's really honed in on these kind of interpersonal skills. So a couple of the topics he talked about within that are just the communication and personal skills for athletes, coaches, and staff in the high-performance setting. We talked about the importance of it. He, we talked about how Dan kind of created his own uh, personal philosophy that reflected his values and how he recommends to do that to others. We talked about understanding personality types of yourself and others and how to uh, work around that to get the best outcome. We talked about recognizing your own personal bias and how to deal with that. We talked about how you can deal with conflict, reflect on conflict, and navigate that. And then we talked a lot about perception and how perception is with the, the staff, athletes, and everyone involved in the high-performance setting. Moving on to that, we kind of talked about Dan's two vast differences in having the in the American system in baseball and then more in England with professional rugby. We talked about the pros and cons of each within the sports, uh, whether that be more the analytics focus, more the strength and conditioning focus. And then we kind of broke down the takeaways Dan recommended from both of his experiences. Finally, make sure afterwards to check down if you're interested in Dan's courses that he offers. He also offers an interactive personal development course, which has all of the information linked in the show notes um, at the bottom and with a description in so on and ways you can get in contact and look up the course but anyways great episode here it is welcome to no week links with patrick wood the purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences this podcast is perfect for athletes strength and conditioning coaches rehab professionals or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry so please have a listen and i hope you enjoy Welcome to Noic Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Dan Howells, who has most recently been with the Houston Astros and previously in pro rugby. He's currently back in the UK at the moment. So thank you very much, Dan, for being on. Really appreciate it. Um, first off, if you just want to give a little bit of introduction upon yourself, your background, education, um, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, my uh, most recent role was uh, head of strength conditioning at the Houston Astros, and, and prior to that, working backwards, I was, I was in uh, with the England Sevens and, and actually the GB Sevens as well that, that competed in Rio uh, in 2016, uh, and spent some time in professional rugby leading up to that, um, and then prior to that was with the English Institute of Sport, working in a multi-sport environment uh, with Olympic, Paralympic sports, um, and then my, you know, like everyone really went through an exercise science degree and, and a physiology master's and, and then actually got out to the States to do a post-grad internship with the U.S. ski team. So that was my first experience of elite sport at the, at, the, at the high end. And that really opened my eyes up to how to deconstruct performance impact, really, because of the way they went into detail in terms of the way they trained their skiers, uh, the research or the sports science that they embedded in those environments. So, yeah, that's that's the whistle stop in reverse order, really. <laughs> All right. And and today's kind of initial topic we'll, we'll talk about, uh, just because you've had um, a decent amount of experience at high-level sport and a very important part is those interpersonal skills you have within people. So I guess um, if you first just want to talk about the general overview of kind of you've developed a passion, it seems like, for this, 
um, kind of some general points for, on the communication in, in the interpersonal skills uh, for athletes and coaches in this high performance setting. And then we can kind of get into a little bit more of the specifics, I guess. Yeah, I think the I've always had an interest in communication because of being an SNC coach. So yeah, I failed to mention that my discipline, strength and conditioning, and that's where I've honed my craft over the last 15, 16 years. But um, I've always had a, a good knack of, of building relationships. I've always been aware that I've been able to operate with a varied style of head coach or colleague and, and reasonably well adaptable to, to, to those environments. So um, it was then when I moved to the States that I realized that I was going from a team of five in terms of support staff for a team of 25 players to a team of 13 strength and conditioning coaches of which I'm 12, yeah, one was me, 12 I managed, 15 athletic trainers, so I had to work with their head of department, 30 to 40 coaches, you know, and more. So there's 150 staff members on the player development side. And I actually put a post out recently or reposted somebody else's work around lines of communication. And obviously if you have three people in a staff, that's three lines of communication. But if you have five, 10, 15, those number of lines escalate because you can only communicate clearly with one person at any given time. And, and my transition to the States, I was very well prepared, didn't realize potentially at the time, but I was considering the impact on others in every decision I made or every decision of communication that I was making. I was considering who needs to understand directly, who needs to know indirectly, who doesn't need to know. But equally, of those that don't need to know, how might they perceive not being informed, <laughs> you know, from a perception mm -hmm. side of things. So from a, a, the, the focus being high-performance operation or high-performing teams, um, I put a lot of emphasis on, on that early on. You know, I had a team of 12 coaches that had lack of psychological safety. They, they didn't have a, a shared vision. They needed to fill part of the process. So my communication styles were going to differ. That I was going to make them feel secure in the environment and, and ask them about, use language like, what if we did it this way? You know, brought us both into the situation, the environment we were looking at. Um, what if we could do it this way? What, 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 if you had no barriers, what would you want to do? You know, and move their mindset from fear to opportunity and um, optimism. And so those, the devil in the details of the power of personal skills is, is around then the types of words you're using, the way you construct sentences. And it's the same with athletes. I, w I observed in that environment, coaches who spoke fluent Spanish, not reach Spanish speaking players, because they were trying to talk to them as a American using Spanish language in the way they were taught to collegiate athletes. Well, the environment is different. Mm -hmm. the, the cultural upbringing is different. The situation for these Hispanic or Latino athletes is different and they weren't accounting for that still being very dictatorial in language and then I saw people like myself and others who weren't very good at Spanish who were happy to show the athletes that they were vulnerable and that, that is a communication skill in itself because it gives them trust uh, it gives them um, an empathy towards you that you're trying they buy into that more and so that strategy actually works really well with them and we coat that with an air of uh, enjoyment and laughing at ourselves at times and that communication pathway is then heightened. And so I saw people who couldn't speak Spanish reach those Latino players a lot better. Um, 
And so there's a lot to be said for just trying, you know, with the language barrier in itself. Because I also saw people who didn't even ever speak a word of Spanish really struggle. So how you choose to make yourself vulnerable in the communication style or the words you choose um, is vital. So that drove me to just, for the next two, three years, every technical thing I was driving within the department, I was also driving a way in which to deliver it. You know, how would you communicate this? So I was creating, without maybe the staff realizing, we were creating a technical link to performance. So if we're doing a nord board, we are doing it because we know that posterior hamstring strength in our baseball population, those with stronger hamstrings, have a greater speed to, to first base, which is a performance impact. We also know that if you've got weak hamstrings, but you're fast, potentially you've got a double risk factor in terms of injury. So these are sales pitches that SNC coaches could use as part of their personal skill interaction. Without them, without a link to the why, without the link to performance impact, it became opinion. And so this objective stuff helps you deliver the personal, or help, you can use your personal skills to help deliver this objective stuff and take opinion out of it in any interaction. So that was really fascinating for me. And then I reflect on why did I get to this point of awareness and I look back on business courses I did as an S&C coach, which is a bit out there. And I looked at personality <laughs> profiling and mindset profiling that has been ever present in the way I try and read the, the, the people that I don't know as early as possible. I try and find out or understand what behavioral style they are. How do they best receive information? How the way they convey or, or communicate might just be down to their preferential style and lack of awareness. And so, yeah, it's fascinating for me. And that's just where I'm at at the moment, especially as I'm trying to move into high performance type management and people as well as athletes or support staff as well as athletes are people that I'm going to have to inspire and lead, hopefully moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And so you, you obviously developed a very thought out way of how you're going to communicate and things that work best and experience a lot of it. So I guess, how do you go about recommending others to kind of create their own way and their own reasoning and to deal with the communication at these higher level and elite settings? Yeah. I mean, most recently <clears throat> I've likened it, it to, to the technical side of things. So as an S and C coach or even a, a physio or athletic trainer, we deal with adaptation, right? Stimulus and adaptation. And we're trying to create repetitive stimulus <clears throat> to force the adaptation to occur, right? And it's the same here. You need to, you need to force the, the behavior to create a habit, something that's more natural and comfortable um, and more unconscious than conscious. And it's the same, again, I liken it to motor skill development. development. It needs repetition and it probably needs mistakes as well to heighten awareness of what's right and wrong. And so I would encourage <clears throat> the aspiring practitioners out there to, to start with this as early as possible. And unfortunately, it's not really the things that are taught at university or formal routes because it's so technically focused or physiologically fo focused. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, in terms of advice, starting to read around communication styles, um, yeah, there's good books out there and, and there's good good profiles that you can do now. You know, I ended up spending COVID taking the time to become accredited as a profiler for personality mindset because I, I feel it's going to help the people that I'm trying to help as coaches of tomorrow. Um, 
And that is a tool that really raises self-awareness. If you're open-minded and you can um, understand where you are and understand that we have a, in personality and mindset, we have preferences, preferential styles. That's just where we're unconsciously comfortable. It just means that it's natural to us. So I know that I'm forcefully logical. I, I, I go to direct answers, direct communication and logical processes. And other people in my team were empathically expressive, energetic, people focused. That's the opposite to me. But I can still stretch myself to those areas if I'm aware of where I lie and I don't try and overplay, overplay my strengths. So I can use certain questioning or thought processes to move myself into those areas or even bring other people to my way of thinking as well, depending on the outcome we're trying to influence. Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, you know, I use a profile called Spotlight by Mindflick. And, yeah, that's readily available through, through working with myself as a, as a coach practitioner. So there's that. And then you've got things like the, the book by uh, Brett Bartholomew, The Conscious Coaching is an excellent into this kind of stuff. Really goes into some nice detail and some nice practical examples there. Um, but, yeah, it, it starts with you as an individual it starts with the, the desire to want to investigate this stuff about yourself and get relatively uncomfortable understanding where you are and what your potential blind spots are people use the word weaknesses but I, I think that's wrong I think it's just more about where your preferences potentially create a blind spot for you um, because perception is everything and when you've got multiple different types of personalities and mindsets in a team we need the best operating teams are going to be respectful of each other um, in any pressure situation, basically. Yeah. So, um, I, obviously, I, I've read uh, Conscious Coaching and a couple others, and I guess making the point of how it, it's really challenging, I guess, to get used to identifying and being able to do that quickly. So, could you just quickly, I guess, expand upon any tactics tactics you've used to try and get down of how you um, are able to profile someone quickly and understand w what they what they need to best communicate. Yeah, so I mean, if you can look on <clears throat> online at the classic, you know, disc or prism, which is based on a bit more of the ocean uh, ocean model um, or the Big Five, where those models are based on extrovertism and introvertism and task and people. So if you you just need to look for sure signs in the people around you. So if somebody is jumping into the room very loud or they're confident coaching and they're, they're externally driven or extroverted, they're going to be weighted towards that end of the spectrum. And that's going to be either expressive or, or forceful and direct. Um, if they're more internal, they're going to be weighted more towards the, the logical and empathic side of things. Okay, so then to understand which one of the two that you've identified that they're most likely to be preferenced towards, <clears throat> you might, that you would look then at the, the other axis, which is, task-focused or people-focused. So if you're people-focused, that's going to be a more empathically-driven individual, okay, or weighted towards more of that. If you're more task-focused, it's going to be more of the forceful and, and logical individual. So if you've got somebody who's internally task-focused, you might see that more prevalent in some of your sports scientists who are going through processes every day. They think logically, they think in steps. Whereas if you are looking at somebody that's internal and people focused, you might be looking at more of your medical staff or mental skills individuals. Now, definitely we have the out outliers in that as well, but 
people who care about people are going to sit sit more down there in, in a people-driven or people-focused area. So that's the first thing I say is that you can never know, but that can be a, sh- a starter for you to try to appreciate an individual. And then <clears throat> on the mindset axis with or pr- uh, framework, you're looking at every decision is based on risk and reward. What have I got to gain and what have I got to lose? And at low end with low pressure decisions, it doesn't really matter that the, the fine line, there is no fine line. It's pretty, the risk and reward are, are pretty much the same. But as you get to high pressure situations, the element of risk and reward becomes amplified. And so do you weight yourself towards, I, I want to be avoiding the risks, okay, and I don't care about rewards, so I'm going to be more prudent in nature or actually conversely I love the chance here to to get a reward and I love the opportunity it brings by making this decision and I don't really have any sense of threat so I'm optimistic so again you and I could have we could be both empathically driven as a preferential style and we could get on exceptionally well in the treatment room or in the gym but the moment we're trying to make a decision we may have a different mindset and suddenly we may find that we're butting heads and, and that's where you get on really well with athletes until there's a real uncomfortable decision for them to make. And you think you've got them on board, but they throw a curveball at you in the sense that they don't want to get on board with what you're saying or doing because suddenly it's at more, more of a risk for them. Um, and then you've got to navigate, is it that they don't perceive the information as they should or um, are they right to deconstruct the, the environment or the, the situation that they're in in that way? So that's my go-to is just looking at different quadrants, different axes and and trying to guess because you can't say, hey, can you do this profile for me so I know where you're at, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah no, that's definitely a, a good example and a thought processing through of, of that how that goes. I guess building off of that, though, so you kind of recommend if, if some conflict was to arise, how do, you, how do you recommend going about dealing with conflict or do you have any strategies that you try to go through to kind of solve it the, the best for both parties? Yeah, I mean, I guess I say with any conflict, irrespective of mindset and behavior, is there's obviously something that's happened. Uh, it's a disagreement. The first thing is to to try and resolve it um, as best as possible. Because the longer you leave something, the the longer each person is going to confirm their own biases. That is, I'm right, you're wrong, and the other person is saying, no, I'm right, you're wrong. So that's the first thing is to try and be timely with it and not wait. And and we've all been there with waiting too long and just letting the dust settle. The next is to, if you're the one that's going to act and in a timely manner, then you need to be potentially aware of the situation where your pitfalls were in that, in that debate or conflict and try and move the mindset of an individual that you've got conflict with to somewhere that you could potentially both agree on. Right. So if I take rehab as an example, if you and I are having conflict and I'm saying this guy needs to be doing plyos in this rehab progression and you're saying, no, that's just too risky for him, then we're going to not change our minds. It's very much like all the footballers that argue with refs. No ref in his right mind has ever changed a decision. So as soon as we've got conflict, we're going to stick to our guns. So don't stay on that trajectory. Move your mindset or move their mindset. So I would be asking you as the more prudent person to say, hey, all right, forget what I think and what you think. What can we agree absolutely needs to be achieved in this rehab process? And 
throw that out there and just explore it. And so you might say, well, we need to get him back fit. I'm like, yeah, but let's get detailed here. We need to get him back fitter than he was before because he got injured in that physical state anyway. So we probably need to ensure that he's there, if not above it, in terms of physical preparedness. What does that really look like? Well, we know he's got a history of calf strains, so maybe there's some some more capacity work to do, and, and that's great, but maybe plyometrics are the, in an extensive sense, are the thing that are going to help us. You know, and then that person, because they're outside of that direct conflict, might explore that option. And then you can come to a happy medium. So you move their mindset into something you can both agree on and then re-explore the original conflict in a slightly different way. That would be my, my first go-to. Um, because leaving it is not good and continue to attack it in the same way is equally not good. So, yeah, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? That's probably the first time you've asked that and heard that. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, that Yeah, that definitely uh, is a good perspective of instead of just arguing, arguing your point to try to change their mind to give an alternative that's still going to probably get close to what you want to do, but is changing it to say the other person thinking it's not exactly what you wanted, you're just kind of a compromisable thing that you guys can both go towards. They'll, they'll go towards it. So yeah, definitely that's a good point. Because also <clears throat> remember that at that point when I'm saying let's we need to do plyos, your perception of that may be alternating bounds over 100 meters from a video you've seen on Instagram yesterday. <clears throat> Whereas my perception of it is extensive work in place, not even progressing forward. So, you know, it may even be that we can explore it in an altergy or a swimming pool. And that changes the narrative. So by, <clears throat> by moving the mindset to what do we absolutely need to achieve, let's refocus, and working down there and exploring options within our own preference, not preferences, our own choices within that decision-making process, you might actually realize that you want the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then, yeah. then there's also communication style. So if I've got, if you are a, uh, empathic person, so somebody that's more people-focused and internally driven who, who is uh, sensitive to conflict, you're going to shut down a little bit, but you're also not going to hone into facts. You're going to hone in on your gut and experiences. If I get three journals out to say that running has three times body weight la- load going through the calf just at a running pace, and I say, we need to get him three times strong in the calf, that's going to help some in some senses, but I need to wrap that in a how does this complement your experiences? Not this is the way this should be done. You know. Whereas if you're just matter of fact and you just need to be told and, and, and you love the directness, then I'll just put the papers in front of you and say, this is my reason. And you're going to come round to that because of your preferential behavioral style. So it's, there's a lot of levels to this. Um, it's being able to navigate them quite quickly, which comes from experience and getting it wrong, which is why I got so in tune to this, which was, I spent time saying no very quickly to our ideas that were brought to me by people who were only looking for my help because I'm logically driven as well as forceful. They wanted my help in putting it together their ideas. They had outcomes, but they didn't know how to get there. And I just go, that wouldn't work. And I, I just burned the bridge. So that was my mistake. And <clears throat> once I honed in to profiling myself, I was like, wow, I'm really overdoing that a lot. No wonder that they don't really come to me anymore. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's why it fascinates me.
Yeah, definitely. No, uh, I guess a couple of things you you rec- or you've spoken about before that we could maybe expand upon too are um, the personal bias and perception. So, how do you go about um, dealing and utilizing um, those two within the communication and elite sporting setting? Yeah. So, just very simply, checking. So, one of my sort of personal values, a professional values, I call it for for my role as a high performance practitioner is clarity and don't assume anything and get clarity. So whether that's me just saying, Hey, is everyone clear about that? You know, or Patrick, describe that back to me in your own words, you know, in part of a team meeting that, that, or even an athlete, Hey, describe back what I want you to do in your own words. That checks for clarity because perception is everything. It might be that report back. Like I, I have, people that I do what I call bespoke coaching, which is a, a personal development relationship with another coach and trying to drive them on and heighten awareness of their self-improvement areas and how they can go about it. I ask them to do what I call a brain dump every 24 hours after a session so they can write down their key takeaways and key reflections in order to check for clarity that they understood what we were talking about in a way that I intended it. So. Yeah, when it comes to perception, it's just about that clarity of understanding. And then it's about foresight. So if you can realize that you're dealing with somebody who's very nervous about being tested on, uh, in a physical way, and you can see that apprehension, that, then how do you reframe the perception for them? I had a guy in baseball who we were doing a running assessment with them, and his personal bias, which is based on experiences, was if I don't do well in this, I will not. I will be held back from training, which was the collegiate approach that they took for him in his college setting. And he spent three months not playing baseball. He's playing baseball because he loves the game. So you're removing what he loves, and he has this really negative experience around that, so his perception is skewed in the wrong way. So very soon, get attuned to the nonverbal behavior and say, what's worrying you? What are you concerned about? and explore it and not enough of the sort of coaches snc coaches out there do that because they go right fitness testing today and they expect everyone on the line but what is everyone's experiences of that because when you say test you might perceive it as test means i can succeed or i can fail they're the only two outcomes but when i say test i mean it's a it's a state of play in terms of assessing where you are at any given time what is your stage of development so I actually use the word monitoring more because it just suggests a different approach than testing. So all those tiny nuances around the words used and the way you communicate it, like influence perception. And so you're trying to ensure that you're all looking at it from the same angle and leave no stone unturned. And again, assumptions are the mother of all F-ups. So don't assume, check when it comes to perception. Um, yeah, that's, that's the big key, I think. Yeah, yeah, good points there. So when so you've you've posted a couple of different posts about like athletes' perspectives and perception upon practitioners, and um, is there any examples or biggest points that you should that you kind of want to make to with uh, the athlete's perception of of you and what you're doing and ways to kind of navigate that to make sure that you guys are on the same page and going towards the same goal and showing compassion and, and care. Yeah, I think I think we all try to be compassionate and caring, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's just making sure it's 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 angled with some real specificity. So I I remember going into to my most recent role early on in the stage of that role, and there was a camp that was coming in, and it was called Strength Camp. That's how it was branded. And if I hadn't checked for clarity around the player's perception of being invited to that camp, I wouldn't have learned that actually they don't feel they're invited, they feel they're told to attend. They feel they're told to attend because they don't have a physical, they're lacking in physical qualities, whether it's overweight or not strong enough. So it's all a negative connotation. It's all, I want to avoid strength camp. So we actually rebranded it to performance camp so that the players could understand that the process from entry to exit was development and exiting with more information or better approach to their off-season. And, yeah, the, the, the key there is to share that. You know, be open about that. Don't hide the, that detail because that detail matters. So then you have to show ways to, um, very much like marketing, sell that that story so for us it was like what is your why you know very much at the start of camp what do you want to achieve you know very much becoming um you know not mentors i don't tend to try to use that word but like leaders and inspiration to those athletes for them to come up with solutions for themselves which ultimately what you want them to achieve anyway and if they come up with the wrong solutions you read guide them um you know and just re-guide their mis conceptions about what they're, they're trying to do so yeah that's that's how you show that you care is that you're on the same page and ultimately in high performance sport everything has to relate back to impacting performance for them it has mm-hmm. to help them and I, I talked about data in a recent online webinar with with um sports scientists and we talked about data and who is the producer the athlete it's their data and who's the consumer well a scout is just looking at outcomes. I'm looking at you versus this guy. And outcome versus outcome. Stat versus stat. The player is about the journey. You know, where's his data and where's it coming from? Where, where does he want to get to? And so you need to relate that information. Any information you collect needs to relate to performance. So how does it affect pitching velocity? How does it affect running speed? And if it doesn't have any links, you're going to struggle to create a link between you and them that of shared purpose, right? So, yeah, you have to be smart about everything you're collecting and making sure that it has added value for the people that you're you're trying to use it with or for. Hmm. So, yeah, so making sure, I guess, you kind of tailor tailor to their perspective to, to get the outcome you guys want. Uh, exactly, yeah. And, and you have to be exploratory. It's not going to be a definitive... Approach and, and some people are going to throw you curveballs with their perception of things, um, hmm. but being expecting that blowing a whistle and that everyone will line up on the line and do as you say is not performance sport. And people are more wise to that these days than ever as an athlete. Um, and people are trying to be more diverse as an individual, as a human being. So you have to be more exploratory and as a coach, I think, to dig into the motivators what are the drivers for this individual because you may think that everybody in a baseball organization wants to get to the major leagues but there'll be plenty of latino kids there who've got a couple of million 
from a drafting bonus or a signing bonus in their bank. And as long as they keep getting in their very low income affiliate wage each week, that's enough to tide him over for life with his family. So the pressure may be from his family to just stay in baseball. Don't worry about getting to the major leagues. And so he's not going to push hard. He's not going to risk injury. He's just going to be what some people call middle of the peloton, you know, not pushing at the start and not holding back at the end. He's just doing enough. If you don't explore that, then you can't inspire that person. You can't use the right language to change his perception. Um, and, and you may not be right to change it either in that situation. So th that's really opened my eyes in the, in the last couple of years is to don't assume, again, don't assume, check. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I guess one kind of last question we'll end on this uh, interpersonal type stuff. We can move on to some other topics here. I guess what would you say the biggest lesson um, you've learned or, or some of the, I guess, maybe one or two points uh, of your biggest takeaways throughout uh, this interpersonal skills within the elite level setting? Yeah, I, I think you, you don't, I always say you don't know what you don't know. It's very hard to explore on your own. So whether or not you're being curious about it and using other people to reflect on your practice and reflect on those outcomes, you can't do it alone. It's really hard to do because there's no textbook on this. You can't look and, and go to a, a resource that teaches you how, shows you what the technical model for sprinting is and, and get the same for personal skills because you and I are, are two different people and I can't, I should not treat the conversation I have with you as I learn more about you in the same way that I do to other people. If I, if I don't, if I do do that, sorry, I'm just going to come across as this unapproachable individual. Now, if that's the way you want to be, as a coach, that's fine. But from, from my perspective, the most successful coaches are highly adaptable. They have good values and behaviors. They don't overstep the line. And, and they're looking for respect as opposed to being liked, you know, as well. And they're looking for respect with performance in mind, not respect because the hierarchy demands it. Very fine lines between performance-related respect and hierarchical-related respect and being like so yeah that's the first thing you need people around you to evaluate it or you need to ask questions of your own situations and deconstruct them with people much like an athlete needs to deconstruct his performance with a coach so ultimately i'm saying you need to be you know coached through this or at least going through reflection so in the environment at the at astros i would have 12 coaches and so i would say hey what do you think the impact is of the way you said that to I would help them explore that. It was it was driven because they had somebody like me in in that system to help them identify where they could have done better. But if you're a sole practitioner, you don't have that. So my my advice is to seek that, you know, from from other people. Which is why I went through that process of of developing <clears throat> the opportunity for people to come on board and do six month type small interactive workshops where people could explore those situations and different elements of personal skill development. Um, but yeah, there's just no technical models for it because it's too dynamic, you know, mm -hmm. it's too, so dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess so what we can kind of move on now is, is your roles. Obviously you've had quite different roles as well with, um, in different sports and different countries. So kind of just going from rugby in, in the UK all the, over to baseball, um, in the U S 
I guess, what would you say the kind of biggest differences and changes you saw between the two settings and sports and kind of, and then the two, I guess, countries and set, how they had it set up? And then kind of maybe we can expand upon some pros and cons of each of those. Yeah. So, I mean, rugby, you've got, um, you've got a very team-based sport. And you think, oh, baseball is a team sport, but I mean really team. What I mean is every interaction affects every player. And so um, very cohesive, very family-orientated club structure. Not, not as much money as well, which is another interesting facet. But um, from a physical point of view then, very diverse athletes, very strong, powerful athletes, very running fit athletes, very generally very resilient and robust by comparison for the amount of work they do. Uh, they put their bodies on the line. Um, they need recovery because they play every week. You know, and conversely, when you go to baseball, you've got many different shapes and sizes. Um, you've got some amazing athletes from a strength or speed power perspective. Um, you have games every day. Um, you don't have the, the accumulation of load from a game that you would get in a single rugby game but they play every day. So the accumulation over a week could be comparative, but they're not putting their body on the line. It's just some fantastically diverse comparisons. They couldn't sit probably further apart in that sense. Um, in terms of baseball, like you think, as I said, team rugby is a family orientated type sport. Baseball is this, and maybe this is US sport, but there's the draft process. There's the fact that people can come and go quite easily uh, at the drop of a hat at certain times of the year. There's the um, open market for free agents. There's the, the, the high end of, of wages. Um, there's this, as you come through the, the system of, of baseball, because it's so deep with a, a development structure that rugby clubs don't have. They have academies, but it's not as deep and not as full time. Um, you have all these interplays, you have all these analytics. So, I mean, the outcome end of analytics in baseball is like no, nothing else I've ever seen before. And rugby is way behind in that sense of defining the the elite end of what matters for a positional role versus a positional role. So I almost think that the physical stuff is done really well in in rugby without the analytics at the end, about what defines people in the game, whereas baseball is the opposite. Really good outcomes, but what constitutes those outcomes physically is 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 wavering it's falling behind and so that was where I tried to impact the sport was okay if we know these things matter these things have high market value for players and high likelihood of making it to the major leagues then we need to focus on it and it's very simple like hit balls out of the park pitch pitch fast and sprint fast so really simple because there's no chaos side to to it like rugby and you know, on, yeah, rugby isn't as close skill. So it's just so many different different comparisons. That's the first the first thing I'd say um, from that side of things. Yeah. So with, do you want to maybe expand upon uh, maybe a couple examples of the analytics and and then for for baseball and then some of the physical aspects for rugby that that are I guess the strengths of it and then talk about kind of the we, uh, the flip side with the weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously everybody knows that because it's all readily available on on, it, it, on websites. But 
you know, your record exit velo, pitching velo, launch angles of the balls that are hit, you know, the stats as a hitter, you know, OPS, your, your pitch, uh, pitch stats, and, and they're tracked. Everything is tracked. It's unbelievable, the technology that tracks this stuff and automates it and makes it and aggregates it for accessibility in that moment. With, and you're, you're re rarely going to attack a game of baseball, I believe, with tons of different strategies. A pitcher and a catcher are going to have a strategy and you might shift the field in certain ways, but, and you might strategize your running on bases at times, but they're not going to be too, too dissimilar, right? You're still trying to hit balls out the park. You're not trying to like put the ball through a gap and you're not trying to bunt every play. You're not changing your game style. You come to rugby, the analytics aren't outcome focused because game styles change so much. So if I play your team, I'm going to look at your weaknesses, which are, again, thinking about lines of communication, lines of weakness in, in a defensive setup. Where am I thinking that we need to exploit you? It's not only is it going to be based on your team lineup, it's going to be based on playing 80 minutes, it's going to be placed based on playing in wet weather or warm weather, uh, on what type of pitch, um, and the way we play, you know, do we have to change and adapt the way we play? Or are we going to stick to our guns? Are we going to kick more? Like it's just so much more chaotic and diverse. So that's why the outcome end is, is, is different. I think physically, again, working backwards to the strengths, the, the reliance or the buy into physical needs probably just comes with the natural need to run into people <laughs> and be stronger to protect yourself from that. So, um, culturally, it's just going to be embedded in the sport, right? Um, and naturally, players and coaches are going to drive a big S&C culture. In baseball, it's we play every day, so we shouldn't be doing this because we already play every day. But they don't understand, I, I, I feel they don't understand the stress adaptation, the, the chronic load or the chronic or consistent, we'll call it rather than chronic. Chronic implies negative, but the consistent need to keep yourself at a threshold of stimulus to prevent breaking down and to prevent injury. And that's something that we really battled with, with success in the end, to get players to buy into that. What's the minimum effective dose we can put into your system of tra training that gets us what we need but doesn't create falling off the cliff the other end physically? So it might just be that a guy needs to do one major lift lower body, one major lift upper body a, a week, three sets of each, about 85%. And because he's got a previous history of hamstrings, um, three times three Nordic hamstring curls. But we're going to do them as you come off the field at 11 o'clock at night. It's going to take five minutes because you're playing that day. So we're going to create the opportunity of the longest time frame between one game and the next to dose you. And that might be the SNC program for that guy. And he does that once a week every week or three and every four weeks but in rugby there's already embedded in the culture of two times a week type lifts if not more much more traditional type weight sessions so yeah it's somebody asked me about this the other day and and, and i said and it really helped me going into baseball don't look at the sport as the sport look at look at the environment you're going into as performance problems that require physical activity and therefore, physically, what are the problems you're trying to solve? And so, for 
for rugby there are collisions so the snc needs need to match that just because they're a very good athlete who does yeah 18 sets in each session of strength training doesn't mean that that's should be applied to baseball you know because they the the physical problem or the problems the, the competition problems are different the performance problems are different so the performance solutions are going to be different the similarities are we get hamstring injuries so what am I going to do in baseball that helps mitigate hamstring injuries? Well, I'm going to use some of the principles I took from rugby, which are to sprint and practice sprinting. I'm going to use minimum effective dose, and I'm going to use some monitoring to make sure we don't do too much. And we're going to load monitor them to make sure that when they are playing with high exposure, that we encourage the coach to rest them and rotate them. So there are some similarities, but doesn't mean that the session, the the principles will still stay similar, but the methods will vary drastically. And I think that's where people go from one sport to another, or again, the perception is, I do this with my rugby players, why don't baseball players do this? Well, they're not really looking at the performance problem at the outcome end as close as they could. Mm. Yeah, so so the rugby analytics side is hard to solve because the chaos of it, whereas baseball is, you probably can have more of a, potential to solve because it is more the strength conditioning based load monitoring and looking at the overall problem and trying to solve that instead of the sport so i guess kind of going back into the into baseball you gave one example there is that how you tried to set it up with such a high volume of games with everyone or how did you go about reasoning through and solving that problem of still getting load on the players with such a high amount of games yeah, so again, you've got to look at the landscape. And so nobody at major league level is not going to want to win games. The organizations want to perform. So so wins matter. That's that's that thing. The other, You have a big other construct to the organization, which is player development, which is four to six teams deep. So what is the, what does success look like in that area? And now if success looks like, looks like winning as well then the performance problems at each one of those levels are somewhat similar to major league i.e you need your best players available and you need them fresh or as fresh as possible however if success looks like player development i.e the evolution or the development of a player that creates a player transferring to the major leagues and getting on that roster from an internally driven development pathway and wins is not a byproduct of that. That does not matter, especially if it's individual stats driven. Then it's going to the performance solution is going to be different, right? And then as you go deeper into that, if if the um, mission or the the, uh, the 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 style of approach of player development is, we need to get players hitting balls as hard as possible. We need to maximise exit below above 100 miles an hour. Then our questions that we're going to ask are going to be specific to that we're going to research that and build our principles and frameworks of physical development around that and so you know if it's gaining mass we're going to shape our programs to elicit that at the cost of winning so that's where we may be getting in more more volume more load because we know that winning isn't actually the main thing here it's about a guy showing he has the capacity to perform at a level he may only do it once a week, but that might be fine when he's five stages away from the major league. And as he gets closer, he should have 
develop the qualities and then you can start to periodize and and pull back some of the volume and, and try and get him closer to the principles that you put in place at a major league uh, club. Yeah, so kind of toying with that fine line of winning but investing in something extra now to then get you more towards the winning culture later on? Yeah, in that environment. I mean, you, if you have a, a rugby club, which is, it's all about the wins because all 40 of your players are trying to win, then mm-hmm. then you're then your performance um, problems or questions you're asking every day to maximise the win um, opportunity or chances is it's going to be different because you may have players that are not at the level of your starters. Then you've got to go, are my solutions to wait till the off-season to physically develop him? Or does the coach need him as close to elite status as soon as possible so that he can give a he can rest the guy and he can use him in the game. Well, that's going to affect the way that I develop that player. And we tend to think about periodization in block periodization. But I wish we'd remove block periodization. And I wish we'd start looking at long-term physical development. Everyone thinks that long-term athlete development is maturation-based to the age of 18. But I know t- plenty of 24-year-olds that have a lot of physical development to still realize. Do I not help them realize it just because I'm playing in season? But well, if he's not selected every week, he should be on a very different physical development program than a guy that is playing who has earned the right already. And so that's, for me, that's where I think definitely coming back into the UK would start to look at things differently. And, um, and and yeah, maybe question some of my old traditions in my in my programming, where I might have just gone to okay, how do we periodize this for the team, and, and forgot that I'm working with a group of individuals who've got a career ahead of them, and that I could achieve far more in the next three months than than I think I maybe can in the constraints of the sport if I box smart and plan smart. Mm, and then that would probably go back to the whole conversation we had earlier on. Would you say with being able to communicate that well to the coach and player to make sure everyone's on board. You know, I was going to mention that, yeah. Because <laughs> then, then it's about meeting middle. Because on one hand, if I assume that, hey, I'm going to get this guy doing three sessions of gym a week and the coach sees that, he's like, what are you doing? His perception may be that all my guys must be rested. But if he's also telling me I'm, this guy isn't strong enough, then I need to manage his expectation or at least understand that we understand the same thing. And that the facts are the facts. So, so the facts are going to be, I can get him stronger in four weeks, but that's going to have a residual effect on his available, his freshness when available to play. But if you're only playing him 20 minutes a game once every two weeks, we should get by okay. If he's happy with that, fine. But if he's like, no, I don't want any drop in performance, then we're going to have to wait to the off season. You know? It, mm-hmm. And so it's just making sure that we're singing off the same hymn sheet. And because if I thrash him for three three days of gym and then a player gets injured and he's playing 80 of well, 70 of 80 minutes and he, had, and he just looks knackered and the coach wasn't aware that you're hung out to dry rightly so for it but if you've said hey man if this is the risk you're willing to take I'm absolutely fine with that we can do those three sessions and you if he gets on the pitch after 10 we're just going to have to work on his recovery thereafter 
um, and mm-hmm. modify next week. He's like, yeah, let's get him as strong as we can, as quick as we can. If that's what the coach has said, that's great. But you have to have that conversation. And you have to be brave sometimes yeah. to have that conversation. Yeah, definitely make sure you're on the same page. Um, I guess one last one last question kind of on the combination of, you mentioned it beforehand with communication. One thing that's helped you recently is kind of having the, the tech, I guess, and the data to show certain things and objectify things better. So I guess maybe you want to talk about one or two of your experiences or things that you do to kind of help you utilize that objective data to um, inform decisions and get buy-in from coaches and players. Yeah, so I always say that any sports science, so analytics is analytics. It's at the outcome end, potentially, and players don't need to know too much about that. They just need to know what matters. And they're probably going to listen to that because it's so closely linked to them, so close to performance. The, the stuff we do isn't as closely correlated to performance. It's a couple of steps removed. So we absolutely have to ensure that whatever we're doing from a data collection point of view has impact. And again, going back to this personal skill awareness, coined this phrase, close the loop in my environment, that for every day, for everything that an athlete gives you of, of their information, hamstring test, CMJ, whatever, for everything that they give you as a producer of information, you as a consumer must close the loop on that information and what it means as quickly as possible. The further you go, it loses impact, all right? Because it's less present. So if I can get a hamstring assessment done, A, I'm doing it because I know it matters. That's the first thing. And I can tell the player and show him why it matters. So it it matters for our player availability from a hamstring mitigation perspective, but it actually has performance benefits as well. Great. They understand that. If I take his assessment and go, great, get on with the rest of the session, they've produced the data for you and you've not closed the loop. So the systems and processes of, of whether it's an AMS or Ah, or whether it's a clipboard of previous scores, you need to be able to quickly show them, hey, this is, um, this is phenomenal. This is 20% above any of your scores previously. That's powerful as a message. As is, okay, man, something's up here. Like, this is 20% down compared to previously. How are you feeling? Like, have you any problems? Well, I've actually had some, some issues with my back and my, my, my hamstrings have been flaring up. Okay, well, if you didn't close the loop, you may have never got that conversation. So any objective information you're getting, you have to have ways to collect that data that's valid and reliable, quick, um, non-invasive in the sense of quick and easy to do as well for players, and turn around that information very quickly um, for players to understand the impact and be present with what needs to be done to change it or to continue in this vein. Um, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Making sure, obviously, uh, you you use use the data that you that you obtain and to make sure the athlete understands the why and the importance of it, and then exploring further if other um, if certain things arise. I guess. Mm, yeah, for sure. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Dan, for being on. Really appreciate 
appreciate it. If if you just want to uh, shout out your your social media accounts and any, um, I know you do an in, interpersonal interpersonal developmental course as well. Um, if you want to kind of talk about those for a little bit, and then I can link those in the show notes for you. For sure. So I uh, my Twitter is is at Halsdan, and my Insta is at collaborate underscore sports. Um, you can visit the website as well, which is www.collaboratesports.com. And basically, that's just a personal development platform. So I try to create uh, both in the technical and non-technical, so the interpersonal skills as well, um, development opportunities for coaches. Um, they can be varying levels, aspiring in nature or developed in nature. And there's, there's different levels. There's interactive workshops that I do on a monthly basis. Um, there are six-month programs that are both interpersonal skill-based and SNC technically focused. Some details on the website for those. And, and then bespoke coaching, which is your one-on-one personal development. Also, the personality profiling is on the website as well. And, um, yeah, I just felt there was a, a need to help coaches with uh, young coaches, especially with an affordable-type way to support themselves from, from development and the IPD is the Interactive Personal Development Program. And so that means that you would be part of 10 or 12 other coaches live um, on a on a pre-agreed date and time where you would all meet. And we've had guys from Australia, US and, and UK all at the same time in those workshops where we interactively cover content and challenge each other and, and collaborate. So that the niche or the theme is to add value to one another as opposed to signing up to some personal development um, programs online and, and and going through them at your own pace. This is inspiring you to go out your comfort zone a little bit, um, commit to something and network and meet other coaches and see things from different perspectives. So um, it becomes a bit more of a, uh, a wider or more global learning development experience. Yeah, definitely. All great. sounding like all great experiences there and information. So make sure to put those in the show notes for everyone. And thank you again very much, Dan, for being on. Really appreciate the episode information. Thank you, man. Appreciate the invite. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.